Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, my name is Danielle Fiendarka. Um, I do two things really. I'm co-founder of Utopia, which is a culture change business. We go in and we help build more purposeful, more inclusive and more entrepreneurial cultures. And I'm also co-author of a new book called Creative Superpowers, Equip Yourself for the Age of Creativity. I'm not what people would consider creative in the traditional sense, but I've been surrounded by creators most of my career, either as one of the leaders of creative agencies or as the co-founder of Creative Social, a global network for creative directors. The idea for this series was born of a simple yet fantastic question during one of our events, Creative Social Paris in 2010. We were deep in the moray, huddled around the legendary Jim Haynes, who's been holding dinner parties at his modest Parisian atelier for the past 35 years. This man is wise. Wise when it comes to people, he's hosted over 100,000 guests over the years. People he didn't know. The dinner parties are open to everyone, and it's very easy, you can even book now if you're interested. When asked, what's the best piece of advice you have ever been given, Jim responded, if you do something for someone, forget it immediately. If someone does something nice for you, never forget it. Since then, I've been collecting some of the best advice given to creative leaders, and I've always found the advice that has impacted their own careers super inspiring. Simple advice like leave your comfort zone, be yourself, get out and meet people, take your time to listen and slow down, or love what you do and life will love you. Perhaps my favourite is the advice that Emma Perkins, who now runs Lego's agency in Europe, received on the eve of her wedding day from Michael Douglas, no less. Spend as much time as you can with those that mean something to you. Don't waste your time with people to whom you don't mean anything. In this series, we will be asking some of the people that have inspired us what the best piece of advice they have ever been given and how it's impacted their careers. Our guests come from a variety of creative backgrounds, including advertising, art, design, fashion, food experimentalism, literature and music. Please do feedback if you enjoy what you hear, either by connecting with me on LinkedIn or commenting on Instagram or Twitter. The hashtag for the programme is hashtag BPOAE. Hi, welcome to the podcast, Fear. Hello. Uh, it's great to have you here. For, for those that don't know um, you, please can you tell us, our kind listeners, who you are and what you do? I am Sophia Thacker. I'm a spoken word artist, performance poet, storyteller, whatever name fits the bill, really. But poet. Poet? Yeah. Great, fantastic. So what are you most famous for? What am I most famous for? I had this one viral video once. Um just the one called Just a Friend. But I do I do spoken word. I do something like this. When you've been through the rough like I have, you can't be blamed for looking up. See the sky as something I would once look up to to cry out. Now I climb on a cloud and I ride out. When I was down, I knew best to time out. A broken heart stays prone to wild out. Hurt can take your whole mind out. Anger swallows whole. I was ready to ride out and do some things I'd later have to lie about. I thank God I was delivered and rewired. I praise Jah for a God that doesn't tire. In the middle of the pit he showed me purpose. From the middle of the pit he lift you higher. In your weakness you must always look for greatness. In the dark always find a silver liner. And when you can't find it you have to be it. When the odds are stacked against you have to see it. The winner's locked in the box, visualise to free it. Always speak life, mum said, declare, decree it. 
etc 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 fantastic thank, thank you, you. Um, I, I, we've, we, we know each other quite well now and I, I've always said that I was never I was never a fan of poetry yeah. until, until, until I heard you speak so, yeah quite often <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you how did you get into the world of spoken poetry spoken word poetry performance poetry um it's funny, I always make up answers when people ask me this. I feel like for years I was just making up really fantastic stories, like, oh, poetry just fell on my lap. Or, But really, I think I was actually trying to go into music. I think maybe I was trying to be a rapper, but I come from a really traditional academic family and I think poetry was the closest I could get to rap maybe maybe I also can't rap so it could have been it could have been that um I think I first started watching this thing called Def Jam Poetry on YouTube which was run by Russell Simmons in America and I didn't know it existed outside of YouTube I just thought this thing this art form only exists on this YouTube channel and then I went to a show and someone introduced themselves as a UK spoken word artist I was like wait what so it's a thing like beyond this just this YouTube channel um so I researched into it and then did my first show and from there it's just been it's just sort of snowballed that's amazing and I think um you actually spoke um on Masculine to the Workplace event yes. uh, and actually shared some wonderful words which uh, we're going to include at the end of the, pipe, the at the end of the podcast um, could you share a bit your, um, I mean, you were, you, you got to do a TED talk when you were 18, uh, and actually that was related to masculinity. Uh, could you talk a bit more about that and, wh- and what you talked about specifically within that talk? So I think the the topic of masculinity has always sort of been quite close to home. I come from an African and Asian background and culturally, um, there's a lot of hypermasculinity and toxic masculinity. Um, the way that uh, boys are raised is very different to how girls are raised. Boys are told the the don't cries. They're told um, your your main job is to provide. Your main job is to be sort of the the foundation of the family, and the foundation can't shake. Um, and I've seen how that's perpetuated. I've seen it manifest both positively and negatively. Um, and I found that when I was young. Um, and I had my little high school crushes. I gravitated towards people that were very like my dad. And my dad was like a proper boy's boy. Um, but then I think when you were, I suppose, young and in love, you have a level of closeness with the person where you almost, you don't want them to be that version of themselves. You want them to be a more vulnerable version of themselves. And then it became a pursuit for me, not necessarily with like whoever I was talking to, but outside of that so just encouraging the boys around me to sort of take off the facade or perhaps it's not a facade but to just have a safe space um and that coupled with poetry I just saw poetry always provide a window or platform for people to be honest for people to be vulnerable so when I got approached to do the TED talk the theme actually the theme of the day was I think uh I can't remember what it was, but I remember speaking to the other speakers before the TED Talk. So the guys that created November, uh, No Her November, they were also giving a talk. And Holly Whitten, who's a sex blogger, she was giving a talk. All of us forgot the theme. It wasn't until we got to the day we were like, oh, my gosh, we need in the first like two minutes of our talks, we just need to tie it in somehow. Um, So I can't remember what the theme was, but I just remember thinking at the time, if I've ever given a platform big enough to speak to a lot of people I need to talk about something that will hopefully bring people closer to a safer version of themselves and I've always said a safer version of yourself is your most honest self um because hiding behind yourself is is it's really dangerous really um so when the TED talk came about I thought right cool have masculinity and then when it came out online um the comments were I think that was the first time I experienced cyberbullying really because the comments some of them were really really nasty um a lot of them were from men saying 
Um, it's just another woman telling us how to behave. Um, but of course, I was like 17, 18 at the time thinking, no, like I had real best interest. At heart. I had I had good intentions. And I feel like it's sort of like the Gillette advert now as well, really, where you're getting a lot of it's bringing a lot of toxic masculinity to the surface, really, even though the the aim of it was to reverse it, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. Um, so what's the most ha- interesting thing, thing that happened to you in 2018? Oh, I signed a book deal. That was pretty cool. I, <laughs> at the beginning of the year, I, I started calling myself a writer, even though I had no intention of writing a book. Um well not so soon anyway and then by June I was just writing a book (laughs) so that was that was really cool that was really and what's the book gonna be it's a collection of poems it's a collection of poems and short stories and we're filming a short film version to it this year as well to come out with the book which should be really good I'm really excited for it fantastic (laughs) um so let's go to the big question. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given and by whom? Okay, so there's this poet called Kareem Parkins-Brown. And since I, he was one of the first poets that I sort of was completely in awe of in the UK. I just thought he his work, his writing style is absolutely amazing. I remember being on the phone to him one day. I feel like it might have been the only phone conversation we've ever had, actually. Now I think about it, but it was really worth it. <laughs> he said that the art isn't necessarily in how no, the art isn't in the story itself. The art is in how you tell the story. So his point there was every story is valid. Everything you go through, there is a photograph inside that. There is a story to tell inside everything you experience from the way you wake up to your first thoughts in the morning to your first conversation to the person that you see on the train. There is a story and the art is in how well you can tell it. And what makes an artist a very good artist is how close they bring the listener to experiencing that same thing they experienced. When he, and then he also said um, that it takes a lot of stars to light up a night sky. So the first piece of advice has transformed my whole career in life because now I can never look at an experience or look at a conversation and see it as just that. I see it as um, something to be fleshed out and something to explore. More than that, um, when I'm given a topic to write about, I, I'll never say to myself, no, that's not sort of writable. I can't expand on that because I just remember this advice ringing in my head. You are a good artist based on how well you can tell any story, the story of a pen, the story of the wind, whatever it might be, something so trivial, the artist is created and how well they tell that. So that's been sort of the foundation of everything that I do. And then the last one, the um, it takes a lot of stars to light up a night sky. I think that removed any idea of comparison or any sort of pressure of comparison that I might have had um, when it going into poetry, especially now where social media, the pressure is so much and it's almost hard not to compare yourself to uh, other people in your field or outside of your field. Um, but then every time that sort of thought creeps up, I just remember this advice, like the, the night can't be lit up by one star. There's so many stars in the sky. So just command your space, really. And that, I think, is just the most graceful advice that I've ever been given both of them so you mentioned social media it's quite interesting of our of our other uh, podcasters you know the other people i've spoken to you know some of them have talked about so one of them's talked about social media being a huge inspiration for him mm. was to, actually two other people have talked about how social media's really hindering happiness mm. it's really mm. hindering creativity simply mm. because your point of saying, you know, there's so much competition out there and you, yeah. you can see it and it's accessible that you're worried about putting your stuff out. So, yeah. so I mean, that idea of actually we need as many stories as possible does take that pressure off to a certain extent. Definitely, definitely. And it is, I feel like social media is a game of how well you filter your feed. 
um for me anyway so I've had to create two different accounts one that I go to if I know that I can't I don't want to be around too much noise so it's just photography videography poetry like just art and travel then the other ones like my family and friends and um, people that I meet along the way um and I think it was really important to separate the two just so if you do want to be inspired it's an amazing place to be inspired it's it's like a big global museum just on your phone really um the museum of everything science geography art lifestyle um but then there's also the other side that you need to be able to always feel joy when you see other people doing well and that's really important you don't ever want to sort of lose that and I think for me separating the two really helped because I don't ever see something I don't want to see at the wrong time because it's just very filtered so looking at so, so I mean let's compare to, to an Instagram for example because you obviously <laughs> spoken word words are the things that make you passionate yeah so would you lean more towards a twitter than an instagram yeah, or is yeah, it i really don't like twitter uh, yeah i really don't like twitter in fact this year i've said i'm not going to use it for poetry i'm just going to use it for my ramblings really because i think i've got a lot to say in a poem i've yeah. got a lot to say in a conversation give me like a blank canvas and say tell me your thoughts i'm like whoa where to start and then I want to engage in conversations but then some things are just so off brand like especially if you follow family and friends um, and they just talk all kinds of everything online and I want to engage but I think oh that's just not fitting because some people follow me because we're friends and some people follow me because they're 14 and I inspire them and there's just certain conversations I can't have online whereas Instagram you can sort of leave your stamp and walk away from it because I say enough in the book I say enough when I go on stage I say enough when I'm performing another avenue to just throw words into I don't know if I've I don't know if I've really sort of clocked Twitter I don't think I've really got a good handle on it <laughs> but I think for me so what's quite interesting for me you well, you know we were you're the first person on WhatsApp to respond to a written WhatsApp with a voice message yeah. <laughs> okay so I think what's interesting for me is because we did take those words from the beautiful words of the masculine to the workplace event which which I know led to quite a few people in the audience crying but reading something on script does not give the same impact. Yeah. So I kind of think you're the reason you, know, you need a you need a social network where it's voice, right? Because voice yeah. is your the, you're onto something. Yeah, there. <laughs> the word it's more so. So for me, the word is important, but we can't lose the sight. The spoken word mm, is the mm. it's the it's the for you. You know, the voice for you is is a key part of what you do. Definitely, that might be it, actually. Maybe I just can't translate well enough on Twitter. Actually, maybe that's the problem. Yeah, no, I can. <laughs> and, and, I think it can well be because because you you are you know, and I, and I think it's such a you know we do a lot of work with clients. Um, getting them to truly understand how email's killing productivity. Mm. Yeah, and actually there's a new generation coming through that just aren't used to picking the phone up. Yeah. You know, and it even gets to a case now with even some of my contemporaries who used to be, you know, we used to be on the phone the whole time. You phone them and they go, did I miss a, did I miss the, an appointment oh no yeah because it's kind of like you have to book a slot in order to have a conversation yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the younger generation coming through just aren't using the phone as much you know yeah. they are using and that, I think that's a real shame it is I think social media as much as it is is doing some amazing things it's also changing the way that we communicate I remember um, being at a Facebook talk and they were talking about how you might send an emoji to sum up 
so many emotions that you just aren't going to communicate via words and that is a very it's it's a different means of communication I think I used to be on the side of we need to come away from our phones and we need to turn off this at the other but I'm realizing this is the direction we're heading in and I think we're in its infancy where everything's sort of we're tumbling into it like completely stumbling into it but it will level out we've got things like iPhone screen time now which is sort of at least monitoring how often we spend on certain apps and I think we're we're in a gray area at the moment of social media but I think we'll ease out because all communication is something that shouldn't be lost and but then saying that in even in AI now they're creating things that can create intimacy via the phone and I think if we tap into that we might be just done for good people might not see each other anymore well I think what's interesting going back to voice you know if you look at you know you look at an Alexa you look at Google Home it is bringing voice back into the technology so you know we are getting used to actually using our voice as command so hopefully that will also help you know be part of this new evolution that people people recognize that communication and the ability to just communicate because i mean i've got an amazon echo and i can actually uh, and i I have scared my wife with this (laughs) (laughs) but you can i i can call now and go straight into the household which is which is quite a weird it's quite weird it is but it is and it's it's where where it'll be interesting to see where those things go Mm, um so you've just shared your advice, you know, you, as you said, it's, had, it's given you a, it's actually had a actually big impact on your career and given you much more confidence just to go out and put your stories out there. What, I mean, how do you, th- how important do you think advice is in general? I think it's, it's, I think it's as important as you are prepared to listen. Um, and I think some advice is, it might seem really pointless when you first hear it, but then you might be in a situation and that advice is suddenly the loudest thing in your voice. I think everything my parents told me from the age of maybe 12 to 18, at the time I did not want to hear it. And to me, it was just my parents thinking they were right. I feel like the moment I left home um, and moved out, I was like, okay, right. And everything started manifesting. Um, So I think advice is really important. I think how you tell and give advice is equally as important as the advice as well, because it's weird. I have a thing about motivational speakers and life coaches. Some of them I love and I think are incredible. Some of them I just think this isn't the most tactful way to get your sort of point across. And I know that motivational speakers are Marmite anyway. Um, but I think it, the, the magic is definitely in how you tell it and where it lands. So do you have mentors in your life? I've got people that I would that, that are definitely in the seat of mentors. So someone like Sam Conniff, for example, yeah. if I need um, to just think outside the box, really, Sam Sam's the guy to call because he's always got the craziest ideas. Um, I used to have a politics mentor when I was involved in uh, Parliament. Um, but in terms of poetry, I think the people that I used to look up to when I was like really young, we're just all friends now. Um, but then saying that mentors don't necessarily have to be older than you do. They just need to be able to offer a wisdom that you don't have at the time. And I also think that people think that mentors means a kind of um, a senior to junior relationship, whereas mm. you know we're 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 both in a group now called Authors Anonymous, of which yeah. <laughs> Conniff is in as well. You know, uh, having written his book, Be More Pirate, you know, and that and that is everyone mentoring each other. Yeah, and I think yeah. and I think for me that's they're the relationships that really 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 work and are just really interesting and just create new connections. Definitely, um, definitely. So you know, it, 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 a mentor can actually happen. Actually, happen both ways. Definitely, and I think um, 
I remember one conversation I did have with Sam as well. He was talking about how there's various people that he'll go to for different things. So if he needs someone to level out his crazy idea, he might go to this person. If he needs someone to really push him to do something crazy, he'll go to someone else. If he needs inspiration, he'll go to someone else. So I think you have your you have your people, you have your different bases, but it is it is so important. No man's an island and every idea can be fleshed out as well. well I mean, that comes down to diversity, right? I mean, yeah. it, what he's talking about is people that bring a different perspective and understanding how they bring that perspective. You know, when you're pulling teams together we need to be pulling all these people who have different minds different, yeah. different minds different experiences um you know and, and i think that's really important definitely um so come um what's your what's what would you say your creative superpower is i would say that i'm a maker foundationally and then i've made hacks <laughs> but i think definitely a, a maker first i think I create stories, so from a conversation I might pick a word or from a bigger conversation I might pick a theme or an idea or perhaps someone else's story and I just find a way to recreate that story. Um, the other day I was uh, recording a score for a dancer, so she's a ballet, ballet dancer, and she wanted me to do spoken word on one of her uh, dance pieces and she gave me the theme stereotypes and I completely forgot it when it came to writing. So she gave me stereotypes and I took... Um, originality from that <laughs> so I wrote the whole thing on originality but then it, I sort of tied it back in but inside that there was a story so I was creating a narrative and I think that's definitely what I spend most of my time doing creating a narrative but also creating a career as well because I think being a full-time poet is just such a weird career to have um simply because if you're just on the page just on the book you have to be like a 10 times bestseller to call it a career um if you're just on stage you have to be on stage almost every day um so I think I've just learned to work sort of smart and work hard at the same time but also make make that possible really so I think make, yeah make her make all sum it all up so I mean, talk, talk, listen my passion is hacking yeah so, so what, talk me about why you're a bit of a hack you know what do you do to hack I feel like everything I do is to hack so um, when I first graduated, I thought, right, how do I make this full time? How do I look at poetry and make it full time? So I started looking at different avenues. I took the actual asset, which was the ability to speak and tell other people's stories and the ability to write very well. I took that and called that my career more so than poetry. So I went into songwriting, for example, simply because a poet tells a, a very good story and that's their talent. I went into copywriting because, of course, as a writer, you, you deal with making things that much more um, digestible but impactful. I went into um, bringing poetry into the workplace, so bringing it into well-being, bringing it into different conversations. Um, and that was just for me seeing not, not poetry as not some, not prose, not something on the page, but just seeing it as the ability to empathise and then communicate that. So I think removing poetry from that old traditional idea of poetry okay. I've just been able to do I've just been able to use the ability to speak and write really to get into different spaces well that's that, that idea of different spaces is really interesting I was speaking to someone that uh, um, that works in the hairdressing business uh, and talking about how that business has not innovated at all because <laughs> it's had very little disruption right mm. but so mm. so if you really want to succeed you can create your own disruption within it so what are the new models for hairdressing how 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 can things change mm. uh, which is what we were talking about really is looking at how 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 what we use the hacking superpowers to actually inject creativity back into hairdressing mm. which I thought was quite interesting that is really interesting um 
So I would say you're one of the most exciting spoken word artists out there at the moment. Thank you. What <laughs> what advice would you give for anyone that um, is passionate and would like to do the same and, and actually make it a career? Because, you know, a lot of um, the creatives we've already spoken to on this podcast, you know, it is hard being a creative in certain careers, especially when you're working on your own. It is. I would say start from the end. So see what it is that you want to do. So for me, when I left university, my main concerns were stability and longevity. So I started backwards. I I said, okay, what would provide longevity? What would give me that stability? Um, And then I worked my way backwards from there. So even something like when I used to work in creative marketing and people were putting ideas together and the copyright team would be creating these taglines and really banging their heads against the wall to create these taglines. In my head, I was thinking a poet's job is to do that. Um, so navigate that space. So I decided, started working backwards from there. So I got involved as a copyright. Then I got into sort of freelance consultancy in creative marketing. And now I'm at a stage where brands might contact me if they just want taglines or strap lines where they would have otherwise contacted a copyright that's already in their team. So I would say start off from the end goal. And if it is something like poetry where there's the whole, we've got 80%, let's say purchase 100%, 80% of it needs innovation, <laughs> if we're being completely honest, because the other 20% hasn't changed for the past like 3,000 years. Um, if you do, are doing something like poetry, think far, think wide, think creative and work your way backwards because we've got the, I would say we've got the advantage of it being poetry. So let's say a singer was to come in, we know we've seen singing in so many different fields, we sort of know where it fits and where perhaps it doesn't fit. But with poetry, people aren't really exposed to it as much. So you have the freedom to sort of throw it about and see how it lands. So start from the end and think far and wide. And I also think that taps into, you know, you, 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 as you said, you worked with the marketing and that's where you, you would have met Sam uh, at Liberty. Yes. Um, you know, and, and we look at, and I can't remember what the word is, but we had Jordan Stevens speak at the Masculine to the Workplace yes. event. And I know he has a, wears a lots of hats. Yeah. Yeah, so as a creative, yeah. he is being creative in a number of fields yes. as opposed to a singular field. How important do you think that's becoming in terms of having those different aspects to your creativity and to your personality? I think it's definitely to the benefit of yourself. If you can, then you should. I don't think that you must. I think if you just want to, um, you only want to sing and you don't want to stand for this or stand for that, then fine. You know, that's your that's your role. You wouldn't tell a banker that they absolutely have to um, set up a homeless charity. Do you know what I mean? Like you would you would consider this is your job. This is what you do. Um, if you feel as though people have a moral obligation to humanitarian issues, then by all means, that's another conversation. But I think if if you can and you want to, you definitely should especially at a time like now where it's so possible because on your one social media you can be like Jordan you can be the singer you can be an advocate for um, uh, uh, mental illness you can there's so many things as you said a man of many hats you can do so many things so if you do want to and you can then you definitely should but I don't think that you must and I don't think you should feel pressured too because I think what I've also seen this year online is a lot of people saying things really loudly but not really saying anything of value Mm, Um, and I think that comes from having so many platforms as well 
Great, fantastic. Uh, what's the thing you're most looking forward to in 2019? Oh my goodness, so yesterday night I announced my Ghana tour. So I'm off to Ghana in exactly a month, actually, a month today to tour around um, the coast for two weeks. So I'm really excited for that. Oh, my book's coming out as well, actually. My book's coming out this year, so I'm also really excited for that. So the book, the tour, this tour, the book coming out, the book tour, and then the film for the book. I think they're the things that I'm really... And what's the, and what's the book's title? Oh, it hasn't been released yet. Oh. It hasn't been released yet. <laughs> <laughs> you can't give us... You can't give... You can't give us... It's a secret. Uh, okay, yeah, well, yeah. we'll share it as soon as we get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the one question you would have liked us to ask you today? Oh, I do quite like being asked about the writing process simply because I feel like it was just the most, it was like giving birth. I keep saying it was like pregnancy. I think it was the most amazing thing. Writing a book was the most amazing thing that I could have done last year. What did you learn from it? To listen. I learned to just stop talking. I learned to stop talking and just soak in absolutely everything that I experienced. And that is great as a speaker to just have to listen. <laughs> and just uh, going back to the writing process, it was really, in, you know, even even with your spoken word, is you do a lot of research, right? Yeah. You know, people, I think people forget that sometimes. They think it just comes out. I mean, <laughs> you know, why don't you, so, so, you know, for the piece that people are going to hear at the end of this podcast, you know, you spoke to a number of people, our speakers. Yeah. So why don't you just, can you just, Give us a little insight into how that process works. So um, I like the idea of method poetry. So method acting is, of course, when someone like Daniel Day-Lewis, when he was playing Lincoln, he locked himself in a library for a month and read everything on Lincoln. Or um, the people that play the Joker, they tend to really delve into their own minds, which, I mean, it's it's, it's been dangerous, of course. Um, but I think that is a perfect way to wear the skins of whatever story you're about to tell. So... Even my book, the whole thing is method poetry. So when I was writing things on freedom and isolation, I was having conversations with people that have experienced captivity. I was having conversations with homeless people too, not necessarily for my own personal gain. Also, the stories are rich, you know what I mean? And, and talking to someone's always helpful. But I think for the masculinity one, um, Jordan, of course, it was easy to see what he did from just being online, but he offered the... He offered the perspective of a creative. So he, I think what I got from him was the pressure... Um, that one that a man might experience to maintain face or to to just save face really um, in spite of everything my dad was just the perfect case study because he's just really traditional African um, and then I spoke yes I did speak to some of the panel members as well and they, some of them offered really academic approaches so they were talking about the nuances of gender and how they can how they manifest in the workplace but also how we've uh, misunderstood them so much and then I was watching some YouTube videos so my initial thought when I was approaching the piece was um, the sort of what I'd talked on in my TED talk which was be more honest be more vulnerable but then after having conversations with my dad I realised that he has people to talk to talking and communication isn't necessarily his problem it's the pressure that is put on a man as um, their one role to provide their one role to their own job to always succeed it was that pressure that was sort of weighing him down and many men like him so I think feeding hearing the academic approach the creative approach and then the tangible my father approach it all sort of fed into the poem but I chose to go with looking at the the pressure of society on a man more so than the nuances of gender great fantastic well um thanks for that Sophia um I always enjoy our chats yeah (laughs) Uh, and this is no exception um, we will now play your poem for the Mask Into the Workplace event. I hope that listeners find it as moving as we did on the day. I hope so. Thank you so Thank much for you. having me. <laughs> Boys, embrace the qualities that you were told were inherently feminine. 
champion and learn from the woman who championed them. But if you are adamant that your strength and bravery must come first, then use these exact traits to dig deeper past your surface. Acculturation's calluses make our skin too strong to survive. The socialisation of masculinity grounded in poker face and invincibility has favoured suppression over sanity or suicide too many times. He literally chose to die to so much of himself to stay alive. And when that didn't provide fulfilment, he quite literally took his life. I had a conversation with a male friend of mine about where he's at in life, about how he's coping in his stride. I tried to encourage honesty, vulnerability, transparency, but he said that his heaviest pressure was the one to provide. He knows his wife listens when he talks and supports when he cries. He has a boss that cares about his well-being and kids that light up his whole life. He maintains a healthy workplace balance and in terms of exercising, he's doing all right. But the thing that keeps him up at night, the noose around his neck, the few tablets left, the demon at his desk, the eye bags that carry so many a male, is society saying that he cannot fail. He can express a bad day, but couldn't ever say that he can't make rent. So he takes those extra hours, kiss the kids, I'll be home late, honey, don't wake up, I've got some deadlines to make, if only he knew how dead these lines were, how very true to the word they can be. He leaves to work so early, he hasn't got time to eat, he can't remember the last time he heard his kids' feet race the school run, and as for mum, when they can, they speak. But the hole between them is getting unavoidably deep, the only time they spend together is when they are both asleep, but he runs with the money. He goes where the money flows. He justifies missing life's real luxuries by being able to afford his kids new clothes. And when he's in the concrete jungle crunching numbers, he has to suppress these sad feelings or he'll crumble. But that frustration has to manifest somewhere. So he becomes relentless in his field. If he can dominate here, then maybe this will compensate for the other fears. He gives in to unhealthy competition from who closed the most accounts to trivial games whilst drinking. He doesn't really care where anymore, but he needs to come out winning. Sometimes men choose just to, to, choose to do this via swinging. The artist chose singing, me, I chose the pen. Everybody needs to find an outlet to look into their head. But time hasn't given that option to many men. Sandwiched in between appearances and staying ahead, he said that sometimes he just wants to drop dead. And sometimes there are so many sharp strings pulling at every part of his skin, he's become too naked to remain scared. He keeps running. We keep running. Faster and faster into insanity. Capitalism's vanity is a beast. A thief stealing so many of our men. That are way more than just defensive providers, protectors. They are strong enough to be sensitive, so let them. Let them become accountable to their honesty, to redefining modesty, to knowing that all that they are obligated to do is live. All that they are obligated to do is live and simply stay alive, as he expects for his daughter, as he expects for his wife. True equality cannot exist unless we all survive. This podcast is sponsored by Creative Superpowers, the book that gives you the skills to thrive in the age of creativity. Now available on Amazon and all good bookshops.